0: We're going to open up our Bible uh, to Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6. Going to the Old Testament. And so, um, God actually just kind of changed my message on me today for a specific reason, I think. But uh, as we come in, that Isaiah 6, love to see those Bibles opening. I was reminded today in, in our, in our um, time of prayer for the church that uh, we all need to be good Bereans. We need to be in the Word. We need to make sure, if they had to make sure that Paul was teaching the right Word, don't you think you ought to Absolutely. I think that uh, it's good that you keep an eye on the Word and that it becomes, I think the other reason is this, because as you read it, as you look at it, it becomes yours Right? It's not just the pastor giving you something, but it's yours. You've taken it in your heart. And so, are we there? Isaiah 6. All right, why don't you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, since you are the one, as you do every week, um, you are the one who opens your word to us, I just ask that your Holy Spirit will speak uh, to us in a way that, Lord, maybe. Maybe there's something specific in this room today uh, that you want to speak to. Uh, Father, we come in from uh, various backgrounds, from all kinds of diversity of life. Uh, we've experienced things even this week that, uh, that none of us in this room really know. And so, Father, I just pray that your word just speaks to our heart and, and we're open to it, Father. We, so, we need you. We need you in our life. Um, there is freedom. In Christ, and, and whoever the Son has set free is, in, is free indeed. And so, Lord, let that truly be us today in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. 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 So, the prophet Isaiah is one who has been kind of called the Shakespeare of the prophets, prophetically speaking, um, into not only the um, Israel's life and time at that time, but also into ours today. Um, He served approximately 53 years and um, was called by God to be the spiritual leader during the rule of four kings in Israel, um, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. He comes onto the scene, and if you know the history of Israel, there was a division uh, because of the ruling of the King, uh, it was um, um, Solomon's son uh, that, uh, in in some strong ruling, ten of the tribes said, "We are no longer part of Israel. We're going north," and uh, so they are called the four north nor- or the ten northern tribes, and then two remained the southern. This is where Isaiah is, is in these, and that is Judah and Benjamin. Uh, you, Also at this time, uh, the northern tribes were basically because of the fact that they had 19 kings that were rebellious, they were being basically taken over by Assyria and literally assimilated into it and most, if not all, cannot even put their Jewish roots back to them. They were so assimilated into the Assyrian people. Isaiah not only is the most prophetic prophet talking about the Messiah and clear, but he also was preaching to a rebellious people who were religious, but they had no relationship with, Jesus, with the Lord. And so someone might ask, okay, as we, as we approach chapter 6, someone might ask this question, how do we know When we've moved from relationship to religion, it's important. It's important. And so, keep your finger in the sixth chapter. Go with me uh, to the first chapter of the same book. The first chapter, the second verse says these words it says, Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. How have they rebelled? Listen to it. The ox knows its master and the donkey its owner, its owner's manger. But Israel does not know, my people do not understand There is a knowledge that is setting itself up against the knowledge of God. There is. And it takes us away from knowing the true triune God to some kind of knowledge that we have, but it doesn't point us to God. It is the first level of rebellion. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says we demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That is not only for a person who's going through addiction and has a thought process in their mind that they have to come against, take ownership of it, and give it to captive to Christ, but it's also the fact that there is a knowledge out there that keeps one and draws us away from knowing God. The, the, the God who is unknowable has made himself knowable to us. That is the greatest miracle you'll ever know in your entire life. And yet there's a war. And so we can become religious where we know something of God, but we don't know him. And that is the start of a rebellion. Rebellion. Second, Isaiah 12, uh, 1, 12 through 13. Listen to those words. When you come to appear before me who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Worthless worship, listen to this, because of unrepented sin. Worthless worship because of unrepented sin. There's a belief that is, if I've repented once, it's all done with. I've done my confession. I've done that. But what we find even in the family of God is unrepented sin builds a worthless worship before God. Repentance is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle and when we don't come before God. And honestly, we all know our sin, right? I mean, even as I talk right now, y'all know your sin? Yes, you do. You know what you did this week. You know what you did in the last month. And if you've not brought that before the Lord, who sees it clearly, your worship is worthless. In fact, he detests it. Because out of anything God desires this one thing about worship. Intimacy. The very thing your heart desires and you've been chasing after in all kinds of different places, doing all kinds of different things, is the very thing your God wants. It's that heart that your heart desires. And so that's the second move of moving from relationship to religion. That makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, it makes sense, right? Right? He doesn't want your form and structure. He wants your heart. And so that's the second thing. The third is found in the second chapter of the 6th verse. Second chapter of the 6th verse. says these words, You, Lord, have abandoned your people, the descendants of Jacob. They're full of superstitions from the east. They practice divination like the Philistines and embrace pagan customs. The third move, the first is rebellion by no longer knowing God, the second is worthless worship, and the third is religious practice that are filled with syncretism which means the mixing of many beliefs. No time in history, American history, is that happening right now. Progressive Christianity is a Christianity that has a syncretism to it. No longer is it focused on the triune God. No longer is it focused on addressing sin. No longer is it focused on, on, on obedience before God falling down before him and saying, here's my life, it's yours. It is this practice that basically man has come to the place where he says, I know how to develop religion, I'll do it in my own construct, in my own way. And it is, it is a false religion. Psalm 106, 35 through 36 says it, but they mingled with the nations, adopted their customs, they worshipped their idols, which became a snare to them when cultural beliefs start taking over the church we're on a slippery slope fourth isaiah 222 go with me there isaiah 222 this is a hard one stop trusting in mere humans who have, built, who have but a breath in their nostrils, why hold them in esteem? When the fear of man becomes more than the fear of God, we're on a slippery slope. Psalm 146 says this, Do not put your trust in princes in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground, and on that very day, their plans come to Nothing. You know what? God's plans go on throughout all generations. But humans' plans come to an end when they die on this earth. Except if they're plans in the Lord. Because the Lord continues to move forward with what has been built on him. Now, this is the... Ah, I could so get into that. This is the interesting thing. Even though I'm calling, you know, we're we're, we're talking about this. Even though he said, do not put your trust in humans, Jesus never became critical or bitter because of his own disciples who let him down time and time again. Why was that? Because he put his trust in the Father and what his Father could do through them. So we don't become critical and sarcastic because of it. We just don't put our initial trust in him, in people. We put our initial trust in God, and then we allow God to lead us and give discernment on how we should trust each other. And then finally, so the first was uh, rebellion equals no longer knowing God. Second, worthless worship. Third, religious practice filled with syncretism. Fourth, when the fear of man becomes uh, more than the fear of God. And then fifth, Isaiah 5 just before our chapter uh, that we're going to study, and the 20th through the 21st verse. Thank you for turning your pages. I really appreciate it. Listen to it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. When we turn wrong to right... It is the final act of rebelling against God. When we turn wrong to right, a lot of times it's because of emotionalism. That's so got to be right because, I mean, I could do this. It's okay for my daughter to be living with a man because I want her to be saved. That's why we turn this thing. A lot of times, that's why we do it. Because somebody we love is living out an action that, um, that we know God doesn't approve of, but we make it okay because we want them to be okay. Um, give me the universal sig- uh, uh, number for how many times a human can create its own reality. Zero. Zero. You cannot create your own reality. No matter how hard you try, you do not have, that, have the capacity to create your own reality. Can't do it. And so, these are foundational to where our prophet Isaiah is coming from. And so, as we come uh, to the sixth chapter, I, I find it interesting positionally where this chapter is. Unlike Jeremiah and Ezekiel, who all had their calls in the beginning of their books. Jeremiah, in the first chapter, the fifth verse, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And Ezekiel, after a vision of God's Shekinah glory being revealed to him, In chapter 2, the third verse, it says this about Ezekiel, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. But Isaiah's vision of his call comes in the sixth chapter, already after he's been doing ministry for a while. Now, there are some commentators that think this is just kind of recalling his call. But I wonder, I just, in my mind, I can't become dogmatic about it, but I just wonder in my heart, you know, when you've been serving the Lord for a while and you have some painful experiences, I hope you know that your pastor today has a hurt in his heart. I love the Hemholtz. always have. I have stories upon stories with Doug and I. Our first story starts in a bathroom on the way to, to Chicago. Doug doesn't talk to people in the stalls. (laughs) Wayne does. Doesn't matter. But I have those stories. And my heart is hurting. But, But when you go through times, when you go through times like this, it's easily to become embittered. It's easily to become so hurt that as somebody said in their prayer meeting today, I have church pain. Anybody here in this room have some ties? Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I have church pains. Anywhere you put imperfect human beings who are, who are following Jesus Christ, you're going to have that reality. And so in my mind, I'm wondering to myself, is this a time in, in Isaiah's life in which he sees these steps of the Israelites going away from their God. I wonder if he is, like, hurting. And I know, in another instance, he's absolutely, he absolutely is hurting. Look at the first verse in chapter 6. We, this is the first line. In the year that King Uzziah died... what? Why is that significant? If you do not know Israel's um, background, you would not understand what that means. You would not understand it. And you could quickly go over this phrase, but don't. Stop a minute. Ask yourself, why is that so important? I want you, if you want to do some further study, go to 2 Chronicles 26. And don't do it now. Write it down and go there later. You'll get the whole story. But this is the story of King Uzziah and his start. Do you realize that he started at 16 years old? And that that at the right age, listen to what's written about him. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As, listen, as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Success in what? Well, he had war success over the Philistines, Arabs, and Ammonites. He had success in the development and growing of an army. He had had grown the army to 300,000 fighting men. He had weapons and artillery that rivaled, the day and um, and underneath his fifty two years of leadership I don't just think about that fifty two years pick your favorite president and if you had fifty two years under his under his rulership let me something I mean, the reason you just picked the president was because you really felt that at that time there was peace in America, there was some really cool things that were going on, there was, right? And they had 52 years of it. And then he died. Why did he die? The Bible says this, in the 15th through the 16th verse of that same chapter, his fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until... He became powerful. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led him. Yeah. Yeah. Do you realize that in the Bible, only 30% of men who follow the Lord ended well? That's crazy. I love the fact how honest the Bible is. You see, Uzziah's pride got to him from the fact that he thought himself to be so much that he did something that the king was not supposed to do at that time. He, he went into the temple and he offered a sacrifice. That was for the priests to do. And so in that pride, he came out of the temple with leprosy because God immediately judged him and he died. So this is a time in which not only Israel but also Isaiah himself was hurting. And so this is a very important thing. So what so My first point is this. Because of our stubborn hearts, God uses tragedy to awaken us to reality. Have you ever heard somebody ask the question, why did this have to happen? Why did this, why why did he do this? We've had tragedies in our life too. And those tragedies, have set us down. And instead of asking the question, why has this happened to me, we need to let tragedy ask questions of us. Where is your heart in the midst of this hardship? Where are you? And this happened to Isaiah. I can, I can almost envision him sitting down. The, the country has been rebelling against God. And he's filled with this, just this crying for his country. And at this time, Uzziah dies, and he just like it's just like the straw that breaks the camel's back. He just sits down and goes, Lord, talk to me. I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. I cannot go through this time without you. My heart is broken. For my rebellious nation, my heart is broken because King Uzziah in pride died. Where's this going to lead us? Where are we going? Look at the next line. Then I saw the Lord. (laughs) Does God know you? Does he love you? Does he meet you right where you are? I know some of us have come in this room with hurting in our hearts. I know that even right now there's a hurt in your heart by what you've heard in front of this church. But I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. This is the amazing thing. Because John 12, 41 tells us who he saw. It says this. Isaiah said this, John says, because he saw Jesus' glory. Wait a minute. I thought Jesus didn't come until the New Testament. The Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He says that I do not change so that you are not destroyed. The reality that Jesus doesn't change in the midst of your changing pain right now is your greatest celebration. Because if he does not change, then that means what you're going through, you can go through because he's holding you. And that's exactly what Isaiah needed. He needed to know that right now, when my world feels like it's absolutely falling to pieces, he's not. And I can keep walking. Anybody, don't leave me up here, anybody get this? Anybody going through something right now that's so hard, you're not sure you can keep going? Yes, yes, but because right now you see Jesus, don't move. What was it that he saw? What was it he saw? The first thing is he saw him high, right? I saw the Lord high and exalted. High and exalted. He's seen who Jesus is in this moment. He's seen that He is the God that is over, and I prayed this, but He's over the sphere of the universe. He's not stuck in our drama. He's not in there. He's not like wringing His hands and wrestling with what's, what's going on in your life right now. He is up and exalted over top of it. And He's saying, just like He said to the Israelites or to the disciples, do you remember this scene? They're in a storm. These these fishermen are rowing against the waves. And they're like, man, our boat, our life, everything is falling to pieces. Where's Jesus? Walking on it. Walking on the water. Wow! Yes! That's what he's doing in your life. He's on top of your issue. He's on top of it. He is high and exalted. He's in control. Don't you be over, the Bible says this, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How can I do that when I know he's in control, when I know he's on top of whatever I am dealing with? I am not over, it's, it's the overcoming that we struggle with. It's the addict who says I can't stop it's the person who has so much pain in their heart that they go going, I don't think I could survive this. But if you know that he is on top of the problem, he's in control. Oh, changes everything. You don't have to live into it. You can join him there. Doesn't mean your circumstance necessarily goes away. Right? But it means that you're no longer buried by your circumstance because he's in control and he's over. Second thing, not only was he high and exalted, but he was seating on the throne. I, I, I love the fact of seating. I wonder if a pastor should preach seating more often. You know what this reminded me of when I was, when I was studying? It was reminded me of the Sermon on the Mount. What did Jesus do? sat down. Whoa, why did he do that? Because he was giving life-altering information, life-altering truth, life-altering. So he sat down, and he said, you know, I'm going to just share with us from a seat. Now, I'm not sure if an ADHD guy could sit down for very long because just move, you know, just, but, 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 he did. He did. He was seated. He was seated. Psalm 99 1 says that the Lord reigns, let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim, let the earth shake. Now, for a moment, why don't you go forward with me to somewhere? It's, it's Ezekiel, it's the first chapter. I had mentioned it earlier. But I want you to I want you to hear just um, uh, some verses uh, about this throne. It is Ezekiel one and uh, um, it is it is It was kind of off the cuff, so I'm just trying to... Th- I don't want to read you the whole chapter. 25. You with me? It says, Then there came a voice from above the vault over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne made of a material, and high above the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire, and brilliant lights surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, it's time to steal back the rainbow." to where it belongs, and that's Jesus Christ, so was the radiance around him. It was like the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of one speaking. Do do you get this? It it, it appears like it's, it's like it's... There's nothing that describes... Our God. Amen. It is outside of human ability to when we see the holy One of holy, the one who rules over all, when we see Him on His throne, it's like, "I can't say what I'm experiencing." And that is when we see God for who He is. It's when everything changes. It's when everything changes. And then it goes on. And it says, it says these words. Not only did he see uh, the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, it says the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, when you've gone through a marriage, Judy, how long was your train when you got married to Dave? A couple feet, three feet behind you as, as you walk down the aisle. Yes. Yeah, and, and, and majestic, beautiful. You know when the Queen of England is um, uh, goes through her? In, I thought some word might not be right, inauguration, but her commencement. When, when she coronation is that the word? Coronation. Thank you when she starts in the temple and she comes up front her train is still coming into the temple now at 90 years old i'm not sure how she can pull that but but it it but that and that's i mean that's a long train but do you realize that what this picture is that not only is the lord's train all the way back to the end of the temple but it is folded over and over and over and over and over and over and over to the top, to the bottom, to the sides. Why is that? Because when the Lord opens his hand, all of creation is satisfied because he's enough. He's enough for us. He's he's more than enough. Now, how many of us have struggled with that? How many of us have gone to other things trying to fill the need in our soul because we didn't think God understood us enough to realize what we really needed? That's where addictions come from. That's where looking to, for men and for women to try to fill areas in our life. It's, it's, it's the, it, it, this, this discontentment is, it comes from the fact that we don't believe God is enough. That's why he says that godliness with contentment is great gain because we've come to see God for who he really is and we see that he's enough and even when our flesh says I don't have enough we still believe that he's enough. We still believe it. And so high exalted, seated, On a throne, the train of his robe filling. So God uses tragedy to awaken us. He shows us his sovereignty to give us peace to endure. And the final one of this section is He shows us his power to give clarity. He shows us his power. What does it say here? Above him. Were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying and they were calling to one another Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. His glory. Seraphim or seraphs, angels, mean shiny ones. They are powerful beings that were created by God to do his bidding. They're moral beings because the the Bible tells us that there were those angels that fell. Satan himself in Isaiah, the 14th chapter, because of his pride, fell from heaven. And he took a third, according to Revelation, a third of the angels with him. And we call them demons. But these... Angels are seeing God's power. Why? Three reasons. First of all, do you notice they have six wings? Do you notice what four of the wings are doing? Four of them, or two of them, are covering His face. their face. Why? Because nobody looks on God and lives. Nobody looks on God and lives. Even his own created beings who do his bidding do not see the face of God. The second thing is they're covering their feet with two wings. Why is that? Because everyone is less than God. Everyone is less. And that is an important message for us. Because the lie that Satan brought to us is that you can be your own God. And every single one of us have believed it. And that is what's been the foundation of the of of the reality of our life and why we've gone into sin because we thought we were our own god and we could create our own reality we could do what we wanted to do and there would be no consequence and that's what has has hit the hit us and so and so god we're not like him he's holy but then there's two wings what are they doing flapping. All the time. Why? Do God's will. Faster than 10 seconds. Do God's will. Do it now. Do it now. You saw a man in front of you today that did God's will. And Bob, he did God's will. Even things he doesn't even know about that he did was God's will. And he did it immediately. Those angels are there. But this is the interesting thing is. There's it's God's power, right? He's holy. He is he, not like us. We can't look on him, do his bidding right away. But guess what? Those beings in heaven can only look at you and wonder about redemption. Because what you've experienced, the most powerful beings in heaven besides God himself have never experienced it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that should twinkle your toes. That should, absolutely that should twinkle our toes. Because the Peter tells us in the first chapter of, of 1 Peter 12, it says that they can only long to look at what we've experienced. Only long to look at. And so, and then what are they saying? They're saying, of course, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, could have said, love, 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 or mercy, 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 Why holy, holy, holy? Holiness, and I wrote this down, and so I want to be accurate. Holiness is the attribute that brings us to a place where we see God for who he really is. Love and mercy reveals to us why God does what he does, and grace reveals the depth that God was willing to go to rescue us. But it is a holy, holy, holy God Should have told Ryan to sing that song with us today, but he had no idea I was going to be preaching this message and neither did I. So the holiness of God. But then notice what happens. Notice that all this is going on and then at the sound of their voices, which was like an earthquake, my son has had over 40 earthquakes in South Carolina since the first of the year. Some of them they haven't felt, but they're starting to increase. I think that it goes, it's starting to move into the number four level now of earthquake level. And so they're starting to feel it. And he says, Dad, it's just like, it's like you're kind of, you don't even know what's going on. You just like it happens so quickly, and you're like, you lose your equilibrium. You lose everything. I've never been in an earthquake, but that's what he has said. And 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 this is what's happening. You see, the holiness of God, the authority of God shakes us off the equilibrium of who we think we are and we get to see him for who he is. And it shakes us. And guess what? The, the, the sound came, the threshold shook, the temple was filled with smoke. Why? Because you know what? Isaiah and us can only handle so much. Can only handle so much. We'd die if we were given more. But God is so loving that he knows just how much to turn the temperature on the gauge up so that we experience him but are not overcome. But we can say, wow. Wow. That was God. Wow. That's grace and mercy. And so everything just... Shoop. Now what's the effect? So, so we, see, we see his tragedy brings us to the place where we see his sovereignty. Sovereignty brings us to a place where we see that he is the most powerful and there's nothing he can't do. Where does that bring us? You know what brings us to two places. Romans 1, which I've preached to you before, says this They know the truth, but they suppressed it, they pushed it down. I don't want to know you. There's no human being that has excuse because every single one of us, He has revealed Himself to us through, through creation through our conscience, and through the divine word of God. There is no one with excuse. No one. But that's not where Isaiah went. What did Isaiah do? Isaiah, in response, says this. Woe to me. Woe to me. He cried, I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the, the Lord Almighty. Why don't you think about this? Don't you dare let this pass by. Ruined is defined as a complete state of destruction, a place where we come to the end of ourselves and our capacity to fix a situation. Ruined is realizing who we really are and the insufficiency of anything in this physical world to fix us. There's another effect of ruined. This is another definition of ruin. Is a place... Where a being has become unuseful for the purpose that it was created. Do you believe you were created for a purpose? Do you believe that when the divine mind decided to make you, it was for a purpose? Not your purpose. Not your objective, but his. Not necessarily for temporal, but for eternal. Think about that. The other word that is unclean is, is if you remember in the New Testament, unclean was the word that the lepers used to use. And they would walk around and say, we're unclean, unclean, so that nobody would, become, would come any closer than four meters to them. It is the presence of a hidden nature that calls out to us. Jeremiah said this in the 17th chapter of the 9th verse. He says, the heart is deceitful beyond cure. Who can know it? It's the only one. God knows it. But we ourselves can be so deceived by our own heart and by our own, um, um, our, own, our own justification for our life. Psalm 51 says this, the third and fourth verse, For I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I son, sinned and done what is evil in your sight. This is not a low self-esteem. It is a realization of who I really am in the light of who God really is. And so Isaiah says, I'm ruined. I'm no longer good for my purpose. I'm unclean. I'm like a leper because my eyes have seen the King Almighty. He thought he was going to die. He thought he was going to die. But look what happened in verse 6. It's going to move a little faster now. Then one of the the, uh, seraphims flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. See, right now, the word of God is having its effect. Jeremiah said this in the 55th chapter. He said that that the word of God is like the rain that comes down and waters the earth, and it does not return back until it has done its purpose. There's two realities in our midst here that the word of God is doing. Either it is raining on our weeds of our sin, and it's growing those up more. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I, you know, it, it's always funny to me that when I go to the apartments to cut the lawn, we got apartments, we, we, I cut lawn, and I don't, I don't fertilize it, I don't do anything, I just go cut it because I don't waste money on fertilizer because I don't care. That's besides the point. But I always am fascinated by the fact that the weeds are always bigger than the grass. Do you know that grass is the number one feeding um, tool that God has placed in the world, all over the world, there's grass and it feeds animals that feeds us that keeps it going. Even in in like frozen tundra, grass grows so that animals can eat. It's crazy, but weeds grow faster than grass. Why is that? Sin. Yes, sin. Thank you. Yes, David, you're with me, brother. <laughs> yes, it's sin. And when, when the watering of the word comes down, it either waters weeds. And this is a good analogy. People, right now, is your weed growing fast? Are you pushing back at God's word? Are you saying, no way, I'm not receiving this. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Or is your grass growing? Grows slower, but guess what? It feeds others. If you watch a deer, they'll eat around the weed because the weed has no nutritional value. Are you a weed or are you grass? Because right now, and it's all about the atonement of Christ, it's all about the fact that Jesus Christ has become our propitiation. He has taken our place. His blood shed on the cross for us is what paves the way for your life to become food to the world spiritual food, and it changes your life. As you come before God and you repent of your sins because you see him for who he is, you know who you are because you know what? David said it. My sin is always before me. There isn't a soul in front of me that doesn't know their sin. And you're either saying, I'm gonna protect it or I am gonna let God kill it. But I'm telling you, it's a weed in your life. And there's no food, there's no fruit. You're hurting, you're hurting yourself, you're hurting the, your family, you're hurting your people you work for, you're hurting people because a weed never gives nutrients. And God wants our life. His purpose, his main purpose for your life is that you become nutrient to somebody else, that you speak words of life because that's what he has spoken to us. Jesus is even though he died on a cross he came back to life why? because he is life he is the very image and the very being of life and he's come back to life to give life and that is what he's done he did two things in his submission to his father he was obedient to the father uh, in all things he said my food was, is to do the will of my father is that you? And then he said in his death, he said um, that, he, um, that he was the substitute for us. He, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now notice in this. So this live coal, listen to me, live coal. Live coal, our God is a consuming fire. He's a consuming fire that should both scare you and give you, give you peace. Scare you because he burns up sin. And you know what? If you're sin, guess what's happening to your life? It's being destroyed. It's being destroyed. It's being destroyed. But he's also fire because he burns up sin. And guess what for the redeemed? the redeemed. He's burning up your sin. He's making you holy. He's, he, he is your sanctification. He is the work to make you holy. That should excite our hearts. And in some of you in the midst of your deepest, darkest hours can be the very moment that God is saying, here I am, I want to make you holy, turn to me. So the atonement changes everything. Notice it says here that, see, this has touched your lips. Your what? Guilt. Your guilt is taken away. When Isaiah was ruined, he experienced shame. You know what shame is, the difference between shame and guilt? Guilt is, I've done something wrong. Shame is, I am wrong. When you come to realize that you are wrong, through the vision of who God is, seeing Him clearly, He can take what you've done wrong away. But we have to walk through the shame. We have to see ourselves for who we really are. Remember what it says in Hebrews 12 about Jesus? Right, He walked to the cross, even what? The shame. He walked into our shame. He walked into it. Despite the shame, he kept walking. Why? Because it was the joy set before him, because he knew your heart. And your heart brought him joy. He loves you that much. And so guilt taken away. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So quickly wrapped up, what is the effect of the atonement? How do I know if I have been atoned? How did Isaiah know it? All of a sudden, his ears were opened up and he heard this. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? In in the New Testament, it talks about, he who has eyes, let him see. He who has ears, let him hear. What is that? It's a sign of the Holy Spirit. It's a sign of the fact that God is in you. And all of a sudden, you've got eyes to see something you never saw before, and you've got ears to hear that you never heard before. And it's changed everything. And so it says this. In response, who will go for us? Isaiah says, here am I, send me. I'm not going to go deeply into this, but I want you to know something. An atoned person will do whatever God says, no matter what the cost is. If you read the verses on and I'll, I'll read them to you because we have not read these, but listen as He says, go and tell the people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, listen, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and be healed. I can tell of you in this room who are letting the weeds grow right now you don't see him, you don't hear him, you don't care, you're not going to be healed. That should scare the hell out of you. And I mean that specifically. And this is the opportunity. Don't you dare let a day go by. This was Israel. This was Israel. So what he said to him was this. I want you to preach the word, but the people are going to reject it. The people are going to walk away from it. You are not going to have converts. You're not going to have any success. But keep preaching my word. Now, if you got that message, if Ryan got that message and said, listen, sing, and the people in front of you are not going to listen to your songs, they're not going to, they're not going to hear the words. They're not going to obey what they're singing. They're just going to blah, 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 blah. Yes. So what would be your question? No. No, that's not the first question. What was Isaiah's question? How long? (laughs) How long? (laughs) Listen to his answer. Listen to his answer. Amazing. Until the cities lie ruined without inhabitants, until the houses are let desolate and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. Wow. Listen to me. I've been atoned for. I've heard God's voice. I want to do what he wants me to do. And the call is impossible. In fact, it's, it's, it's going to hurt my heart. What restrictions do you put on God's call in your life? What do you say, I'll do this but no further? What has God been saying to you for years that you've been refusing him on because you look at it and the task is too difficult. And you're going, there's no way I could ever do that. And he goes, amen. There's no way you could do it without me. No, seriously, people of God, think about this. Everyone's been called. Everyone has a purpose. Everyone but you've decided that it's been too hard. And so you've said, exactly. Exactly. But look at the hope. The last verse. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will be, again be laid waste. But the tiboroth and the oak leaves leave stumps which are cut down. So the holy seed will be the stump in the land. There's always the remnant. There's always those. Jesus said that on this rock, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not stand up against it. Listen to me the church has been falling for a long time. There are churches that used to have 15,000 people, and they no longer exist. Are you the remnant? Do you see God for who he is? Do you see your sin for what it is? Have you come to a place where you've received the atonement, the live coal, the burning of God on your sin to destroy it? And have you stood up and said, this life is no longer mine? What was mine has been destroyed. The rest is yours. I give it to you as an offering. Whatever you want to do with it, it's yours. That is the message of Isaiah 6. That is what we need to see today in this place. The sons of this earth are groaning, waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. There are people out there today waiting to hear about Jesus Christ. I happened to be at um, Horrocks this week and I kind of got in a conversation with the, with the gal who was cashing me out and for some reason she went right into the fact that she was, she'd been verbally abused most of her life and she's, I, just, I just can't do that anymore. And I just, I just said to her, I said, you know, we're not here to verbally abuse each other. I said, God loves us and he has a plan and purpose and we're here to encourage each other. And to love each other. And I was gone. They're waiting. They're waiting. Listening to someone if they know the sovereign God, if they know of a hope. Are you Isaiah today? In a tough place, tough, tough place. But today you saw Jesus raised up and lifted up, you saw who he was. So he's sovereign, then control. He's enough. He's enough for you. Let him come and touch you right where your sin is at. And then hear him and follow him. Amen? Stand with me as we pray. Father in heaven, we, just, we come as a family in this place and uh, Lord, uh, we sit in a time of news that, uh, that has, has hurt our hearts uh, and, and so Lord, we come just as Isaiah came in the year that Uzziah died and we say, we see you. We see you high and exalted, you're in control. We see you seated on a throne. We see uh, the fact that you fill the temple, and that you are enough for us and we see your holiness and your power. You have the power to overcome this moment. And that should drive us to our knees in humility, realizing that we are not like you. That we, Lord, we see our sin and we're willing to call it out as the ruin that is trying to take our life. And we come and we, Lord, at this moment, I believe there's someone in this room that has felt the touching coal of his burning fire right in their sin. And I pray that, Father, that the redeemed heart will even stand up and, 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 and shout to you in what you're doing. Father, let us be a people that hear your voice. Let us be a, a people that respond to your call. Let us be a people that believe in the hope of the, uh, of the remnant, and that, Lord, you're doing a mighty work right now, even amongst us, pruning, laundering soap, hammering, chiseling, doing your work in and among us, so that, Father, we can be drawn together for it is, it is those people who love God and love each other that the truth of the word of God is seen. And that as we are one, as you and the Father are one, that's how we see that God is among us. And so, Father, I just pray that you'll bless what words have been spoken. The time that we've taken for your word. May it give you glory and honor. And may our lives so reflect you to the world that people are drawn. Those whose hearts are being moved by your spirit are drawn to say, there's something different about you. Let me see who lives inside of you. We love you and we trust you for this. This is your word. It has sprinkled down. Do what you do. It will not return void. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.